Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today we will look at Acts chapter 4 verses 23 to 31 as Lucas Marsic will teach us more about prayer. See how prayer is based on God, the Bible, and that it is not about our own comfort. How does our prayer life help us not to be shaken by circumstances? Well, join us now for this sermon titled Unshakable, the Power of Prayer. Yes, uh, so I'm happy to be here and uh, hope to share the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, I brought a picture with me to begin with, and maybe you will see it on the screen in a moment. Uh, This picture is almost exactly three years old, and it was taken in the United States. So this was in February 2020, just at the beginning of uh, when people realized, okay, there's something like a coronavirus going around in the world. And um, this is the, the task force of the U.S. government at that time that was supposed to deal with this coronavirus. And this picture was published back then. And they said, uh, well, what are the people doing here on, on, the, on the picture? Obviously, they're praying. And uh, I think it's... It's, it's an interesting picture because there are so many, there, there are so few pictures of people in the Western world praying, of leaders of the world uh, praying, and it, and it's, it gets published in, uh, yeah, in the news. And when that picture was released, there was a big, big up, uproar, I'd say. Um, people said, I mean, have those people ever heard of science? Yeah, like, I mean, do, you, do they really think they can stop a pandemic with prayer? And they said, uh, if the U.S. government does not does know anything else other than praying, it means like everything's lost, like everything's over. But of course, um, we're still here. Not everything was lost. Um, but th- those those discussions came up. They said, like, should prayers be said in public spaces? And also, they criticized. Like, they, they say, like, isn't prayer just wishful thinking? And who in this world still believes? in the power of prayer. And what does it have to do with being unshakable? And that's the question I'd like to to answer today. We'll talk about being unshakable and we'll talk about the power of prayer. And even as we just came out of this prayer time here together, we prayed together and was also mentioning of of power. What is it? And uh, I will try to guide you to the passage in Acts it's a passage that shows us how to pray. To pray, It's not the Lord's Prayer, as we all know it, our Father in Heaven and so on. Uh, it's a different kind of instruction that we find here. And I think it's especially an instruction to a church, how a church should pray. And in Acts, in this book of Acts, you don't have a lot of instructions. It's like story after story after story, and we have to figure out the meaning ourselves. And now the question is, what can we learn about prayer for ourselves? And what can we learn about prayer for as, as a body of believers? So if you want to read with me, I'm um, um, just jumping right into Acts chapter 4. And just for the first uh, part here, reading verses 23 and 24. So Acts 4, starting with verse 23. It says here, Peter and John were allowed to leave. So they were, hold, they were held by the authorities, so they were allowed to leave. They went back to their own people. They reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
The believers heard this. Then they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Lord and King, they said, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. You made everything in them. In Acts chapter 4, what happens is the first persecution of Christians ever. Christianity was quite young, and the first time they were threatened. They were threatened by the courts, by the chief priests, authorities, rulers, and the church responded with a prayer. And I would try to point out three, three things, uh, how they prayed in this passage. So the first thing, how they prayed, they focused on God's attributes. The prayer was based on God to begin with. You know how they addressed him. They did not pray like this. They said, like, oh, God, you are great. We know that you're great, but maybe you're not quite as great. Yeah, we, we think we're almost as great as you are. Yeah, and God, you like our genie in the bottle. You fulfill all my wishes, and there's nothing you would ever ask from me. And by the way, thank you that all you do is about me. Amen. So that's not how they pray, of course. They focus, they focus on God. But sometimes I think we do pray this way. Maybe not with the same kind of words, but often we pray we pray to God, and we don't have a clear idea of who he is. And I think what the church does here in the, to begin with, they have a clear idea who are they speaking to. Because sometimes when we pray to God, we think of God as maybe he's almost like myself, maybe just a little better, a little more powerful, and God would agree with me on everything. But what is God really like? That's the big question here. And I think if you think about what God is really like, it will change how you think about him and will also change your expectations in life. So, of course, now is the next problem. How do we know what God is like? And if you continue reading here in Acts chapter 4, uh, I think we can find a special uh, hint and a good tip for us here. Uh, so reading on in verse 25 to 28. And the church prays, Long ago you spoke by the Holy Spirit. You spoke through the mouth of a father David who served you. You said, why are the nations angry? Why do the people make useless plans? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers of the earth gather together against the Lord and against his anointed king. In fact, Herod and Pontius Pilate met with the Gentiles in this city. They also met with the people of Israel. All of them made plans against your holy servant Jesus. He's the one you anointed. They did what, you, what your power and purpose had already decided should happen. So what's the next thing that happens here in this passage as they pray, as the church prays? They, the church bases the prayer on the Bible. And what they just quoted here in this text is from Psalm 2, from the Old Testament. Uh, and they, they think about this promise in Psalm 2 and they realize, hey, this promise has just been fulfilled. It's just happening right in front of us. And of course... If they know what's written in Psalm 2, they must have read Psalm 2 at some point before, right? So you have to have read those Bible passages in order to ponder on them when you pray them. And so because they had the Bible, or the, like the Old Testament Bible at that point, they did have written promises from God. And if God promises something to you, to us, in His Word, He can include it. We should include it in our prayers. 
And you can claim those promises. You can base your whole prayer on it. And then there's a third part. Let's, let's continue reading here in this next section, 29 to 31. They continue praying. Now, Lord, consider the bad things they say they are going to do. Help us to be very bold when we speak your word. Stretch out your hands to heal. Do signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were bold when they spoke God's word. I think in this passage, what's most interesting is, of course, what they pray for, but also what they do not pray for. So in the first two parts that I showed you was they praise God and they remember his promises from the Bible, from Scripture. And in the third part here, what do they pray for? They pray for courage, for boldness, and then for nothing else. I mean, in verse 30, they do say something like, okay, go, God, do signs and wonders. But basically tell God, God, you do your thing, but what are they praying for themselves? Only one thing. They say, help us to be bold when we speak your word. We pray for courage and nothing else. Because, I mean, what's going on here? I mean, the people, I mean, prison and maybe death is, is, is ahead of them. And so what could you pray? What should they pray, you think? You could expect them to pray, say, God, please remove all the bad people from our lives. Yeah, save us from prisons. But nothing like that. Those threats were real. I mean, the people, the, the government and, and the authorities, what can they take away? They can take away the possessions. They can take away their freedom, their loved ones, their lives. I mean, it's a serious matter. But then they pray, just help us to be very bold when we speak your word. At what point, when, do we pray for boldness, for courage? I mean, you pray that, logically, when you are afraid, right? So their lives were shaken. Everything was at stake. Lots of fear in this moment. I mean, think about this. This happened just a couple of weeks after the crucifixion. The same people were still in charge that put their Lord and Savior on the cross. They knew they could do it again. Yep. Pilate was still in, 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 the, in town, or like in the, in the area at least. Yeah. Jerusalem has not changed politically a lot in that time. So they pray for courage and nothing else. I mean, of course, you can still pray for certain circumstances that you're in. If you keep on reading the book of Acts, uh, Peter gets thrown into prison and they pray, Lord, save Peter from prison. So they do pray that too. Okay? And it's okay if you pray for your specific, specific uh, prayer requests. But here as a church, they get a new focus. And I'll explain that in a moment. But the point is, they realize the problem is not the current government. The, the problem is never the current government. The church just wants to be, they long to be unfrightened. They want to be fearless. They want to be unshakable. And if you look at your life, I mean, maybe you have problems with the government. I don't know, okay? But uh, it's easy to see that if it's not the government, if it's not the people in power, something else 
is kind of a threat to you. Something in this world is always shaking you up. And we wonder, we wonder all the time. Maybe you don't ask the question like as clearly as that, but you might wonder in your mind, in your heart, why is this world being shaken all the time? It's never ending. Why is this world being shaken? So then we pray, and we should we be praying, God, stop this world from being shaken. Is that the idea here? Let me just um, give you a little perspective here. History. History teaches us a lot of things. It teaches something about um, strong and mighty empires. Okay? You have heard of the Babylonian Empire in the Old Testament, the Roman Empire in the New Testament. You might have heard of the Habsburg Empire. And in the 20th century, you know, like there was uh, the Third Reich or there was the Soviet Union, all these empires. What history teaches us is that big and mighty empires fade away. At some point, all these empires were shaken and they were gone. And no one would thought it was possible. I mean, we were a little too young to experience like the Babylonian or the Roman Empire that was shaken, yeah, but some of us were already alive when the Soviet Union was still around, for example. Yeah? And no one thought it was possible that this mighty empire would just be no more in a couple of years. Every name on earth will be forgotten one day. Names of nations, celebrities, brands and companies, mighty empires will all be forgotten. Let me tell you a story, okay? Because I was thinking about, uh, it's almost like nostalgic now, uh, thinking about the pandemic, uh, thinking about when, when the first lockdown happened. Yeah? So it's like, uh, think about three years ago about that time. Uh, so I, at the school I work at, uh, they, they told us, okay, there's something coming up, so be aware of it, uh, brace yourselves, we might not meet in school anymore, uh, and they told us it was a, a Friday, okay, it was a Friday, I think it was Friday the 13th, by the way, uh, they, they told us, okay, you can come back on Monday, get your stuff, and then it will be, all be online learning from now on, okay, we come back on Monday, and then, <clears throat> so on Friday, we left, and then on, on, on Saturday or Sunday, we got an email and say, okay, you cannot come back on Monday. Yeah? Right away, you go into online learning. And then um, we've been in this state for two months. And during those two months, I had a great fear. Okay? My fear was not that I'm going to die or that I was going to get infected. Okay? My fear revolved around something else. Okay? I, um, I used to share an office space with a colleague. And my colleague, um, he... How should I say it? Uh, he likes to eat. And, I mean, he's, he's good in shape. He's in shape, but... Uh, and he does not like to waste food. So what he usually does is uh, he has his lunch, and he sometimes has a second lunch, and then he, uh, he leaves the plate in the office with the food on it. And I remember on Friday when I left, there was this plate with food on it, and we thought we're going to come back on Monday. So sometimes when I came back after the weekend, I would see, you know, there's some fish or something, you know, something like that on the plate still. Uh, and we have no windows in, in this office. So, so for two months, every day when I get up, I was thinking about this plate in the office. Uh, and then finally, after two months, we come back. 
And you know, I unlock the door in the morning, like I peek inside, like it's like it's like kid, no light. I turn on the light, and then I see, I look at his desk, and the desk is empty. Obviously, before I had, he had left on Friday, like before after I had left, and he just cleared out the, or someone else did it. I don't know. Um, but then I said hello to him. I was like, hey, good to see you again after two months and so. And I thought, like, I thought I would, I would see this, this plate here, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, the plate is gone. He's like, but, hey, I still have a bag of apples. So we, he goes under the desk and he gets out this bag of apples. And like, they looked nice on the, like, on the front, but on the back he turned around and it did not look very, very nice. And he's like looking at it. Like, hmm, you think I should still eat that? So I was like, hmm, rather not. And then, and then he says, okay, but ah, I remember, I still have half a yogurt in the fridge. So then, and at that point, I left again. So I don't know what happened to the yogurt. But um, the point of the story is, of course, we all know, uh, we have all made experience with food. We know there's hot food. It's too hot to eat. We wait for it to become warm food. We can eat it. But if you wait too long, it becomes cold food. And cold food eventually becomes bad food, especially after two months. And if you wait even longer, uh, as nature goes, in the end there will be no food at all. It will have just, you know, the, all the, uh, the bacteria and everything will have eaten it away. And this is really um, this state that we are in. I mean, our, all the energy in the food and in, in those places, it fades away, goes away. Yeah, energy is just lost, goes out into space. In science, energy is never, like, completely lost, but it just changes. Yeah, but even the whole universe is slowing down, okay? I don't know, like scientists have found out, Earth's rotation is slowing down by milliseconds, but it's slowing down. All the stars are going to burn out eventually. Yeah? And there are many theories how it's going to happen. Uh, I don't know how it's going to happen, but we know that it will happen at the end. Big stars, big empires, big names, all gone someday. We don't have to look at those empires and the stars to get the idea. I mean, <clears throat> just look in the mirror. What's happening to us? Yeah? I mean, are you keeping your body in shape? And maybe you're training a lot, but as we all know, your body, your hair will not be the same in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years as it is now. And at some point, we will all drift into oblivion. All of us will be forgotten someday. All of us will be forgotten someday. Or... Do you, name, do you know the names of your great-great-grandparents? Very unlikely. Everything is shaken. The apples in my colleague's office are shaken. Our bodies, the universe, our memories, we will forget. We wonder all the time, how can we rid the world of these shocks? We cannot find an answer. That's why it's important to go back and look how, this, how the early church is praying. They're meditating on Psalm 2. I didn't like, put it out here, uh, it's, but you can read it later. It's not a very long psalm. But God says essentially in this, in this psalm, He says, I have appointed my king. He has come to stay. And God says here in, this, in, in Psalm 2, there's something that does not fall apart. And there's more to it. When God does something, it does not only not fall apart, also it grows, it sprouts. But can we find an answer to this question, why is the world being shaken in the world then? I'd like to read another passage to you that clearly talks about this 
very, very um, specifically, it's in, found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Uh, so starting in verse 26, Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. It says here, at, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, like talk, God's talking, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 tells us, God shakes everything so that the unshakable remains. God shakes us again and again. We can recognize what cannot be shaken. This is what the church prays for in Acts 4. They pray, establish us, build us upon these things, these unshakable things, God. And remember what they prayed, um, or what happened after that, continuing in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 31. It says, it says, after the prayer, earth trembles, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out boldly, courageously. What happened here in verse 31 is God's presence is manifested. It's not the first time, or it's not the only time the Bible tells us a story like that. I mean, if you go back to Exodus 19, the, the mountain shakes. At Pentecost, there's an earthquake. There's always an earthquake when God appears in the Bible. I mean, have you ever thought about why is that? Why, is that, why isn't it another phenomenon? Why isn't it like when God appears, there's always like a choir of angels or something else? I mean, it would be impressive also, right? Why is it always an earthquake that happens when God shows up? And maybe this illustration might help you. I don't know. Maybe it will help you, okay? Um, you all know, like, actually, what I'm standing on. Like these wooden floors, yeah, those old floors, yeah? Uh, you know, like even there are some floors that are even worse shaped than this one is. Uh, but as you, as you think about, just imagine any kind of floor, uh, old floor made out of wood. If a mouse, little mouse, just runs around the floor, uh, I mean, you won't hear any, any sound, right? If I'm stepping on the floor, yeah, you see there's a creaking sound already. <clears throat> but imagine in your living room and the old floor is there, an elephant comes in, yeah, rocking on, on this floor. The floor will probably not only creak, but what, pro probably it's going to, if it's really old and bad, it's going to break. Yeah? The, the, the elephant's going to go one floor below or something. Yeah. <clears throat> but <clears throat> for the perspective of the mouse and for us, the floor is quite solid. And there's a principle that we all know about. Yeah? It's simple physics. Yeah? <laughs> we all know from our experience. Um, things that look solid... They will give way when something bigger comes along. Yeah, we all know that. But, and what would you say is solid? What is immovable? And for ages and ages, in poetry and, and everywhere, mountains are the symbol of being solid and immovable. But also the Bible gives us passages where it says, when God comes down, solid, immovable mountains, they tremble, they melt away. Imagine that. God is bigger, stronger, heavier, more powerful than anything else we can imagine. But then you might ask this question, okay, hold on. Uh, <clears throat> you just said God comes down. I thought, I thought God is everywhere. How can he come down? Okay. 
What does that mean? The point is here that in the Bible, when it says God comes down, it usually comes along with a filling of the Spirit. There's a new consciousness. It means we, or the people receive the prophets, or the church, whoever, we see things from a new perspective. And what we see is not just anything. What we see is that he is reality. I'm not saying we see that he is real. We see that he is reality. Okay, at this point in Acts 4, the church sees they don't need any other circumstances. What they need was only to be founded in God's love. They saw that there's only one reality, and that is God and his world. And that completely changed their perspective altogether. I mean, in their heads, they knew, and we all know this, right? We know in our heads, God is almighty. We know everything that happens, happens like for, according to God's plan. But sometimes that's just theoretical knowledge in our minds. And here, it became personal. It was no more, longer theory. And that's the question, of course, to us, to you this morning as well. How theoretical is God for you? How approachable, how personal is he to you? Maybe you feel God is distant. Maybe you think, hey, I want this distance to go away. How does distance go away? I mean, distance is not really a thing, right? We just say to distance, distance, be gone. Doesn't work, right? Let me ask you another question. Has God ever shaken up foundations which you build your life? Has your life ever been so shaky that you come to the point you realize it's all pointless if I don't entrust my whole life, my whole existence to God? And as far as you have experienced this, like the big mountains in the way, your fear was also going to melt away. That's the promise that God gives us. And I, I think about myself, you know, I think about every time that God shook my life, in, in what circumstances whatsoever, I mean, looking back now, I can see one thing, afterwards, my fear has become smaller. Yeah, I mean, so far, I'm very thankful I have not been threatened with imprisonment, yes, but I mean, I've gone through phases where I lost maybe some kind of prestige or status because I chose Jesus. And I know one thing, I know for sure, at the next opportunity, I'm going to be afraid again. But I also know that my fear will be smaller than before. There's power in the prayer that the church prays here. The prayer that's prayed according to God's will. He will gladly and sometimes even quickly answer this prayer. God, make me bold. Whatever state you are here in this, in this morning, yes, whatever state you feel like you're in, the principle from today's text also applies to you and to me. The principle is this. The more God shakes you, the less the world can shake you. The more God shakes you, the less the world can shake you. And still we have our doubts. Yes, it doesn't... It, it, we still have to think about things. And maybe right now is a point in your life where you're shaken heavily. And you have a problem, you can't seem to see the goodness of God. God's, God's goodness in this, where is it? 
And how can we even be sure that it's not just uh, God is just playing around? And, uh, and maybe this goes for the church in Acts, it goes for some pe person in the Old Testament, but doesn't really apply to us. How can we be sure that if God shakes us, the world will not be able to shake us as much anymore? Let me just take you to one more passage in Matthew 27. The famous, important moment. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. Jesus hanging on the cross. And it says in verse 50, When Jesus had cried out again in loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. The rocks split. The earth shook. Remember the elephant on the wooden floor? Here was something at work that carried more weight than the earth. God came down again. But this time, not for blessing, but for judgment. The judgment that had to come to us to pay the price for sin of mankind, including me and you. And for all the things that are wrong with our world, God chose, it, chose not to leave it that, that way. Praise God, he chose not to leave it that way. And the Bible tells us that every single person is, in fact, responsible. Together, we're responsible for the fact that this world is not in order. And it all started when we first believed that uh, we could build a, a world that's better if we leave God out of it. Now, the sin in our heart says, let's leave God out of the world. Let's leave God out of our lives. And everything, we will all be better off. That's what the, our hearts long for. And thousands and thousands of years, human history will tell us how successful we have been in this, in this operation. Our attempts of creating our own righteousness created more and more hurt and pain and unrighteousness. God decided to restore his righteousness. And that's why this judgment happened. It had to happen. It was focused one point. Maybe you know, uh, you have heard or watched the Star Wars movies, and, and like in the early ones, the original ones. Um, <clears throat> there's a, the plot revolves around a great danger that's posed uh, by a spaceship, like a space station, that's as big as a small planet or like a moon, but it's no moon. Uh, it's called the Death Star. That's like a little thing. I even uh, I brought a picture of you if you have never seen it, or if you maybe watch science fiction movies that have similar weapons. <clears throat> the Death Star is a giant machine, and it can shoot out this one massive beam, and as you can see in the picture, it has energy to destroy entire planets. Yeah? One shot, and the planet explodes. If you keep that picture in mind, in a similar matter, the judgment of all the sin of all humanity was bundled into one ray, ray of death, coming down, but not directed at the planet itself, directed at one individual. By the way, can you imagine how powerful God is? You cannot really imagine, but like, as much as you can imagine. Imagine all the power coming down into one beam, one ray. Can you imagine what, what it feels like to be hit by that? What force, what power it has. That death star, if it was a real thing, 
it would only be like tickling you compared to what the power of God can accomplish. And that individual, Jesus Christ, received the full unrestrained force of God's righteousness on the cross. Even though he was the only one who was righteous. He didn't deserve it. But praise God, he has taken the place for you and me because we could not bear this judgment on our own, ever. And also, you know what happened at the crucifixion? An earthquake. Now, people witnessed an earthquake and the earth shook under this judgment. The earth shook under the judgment of God. And Jesus was shaken like no one ever before him or after him. And maybe you've been through certain lives, uh, times in your lives where you've had maybe a taste of death. Maybe you're almost got killed in an accident. Like it's almost like it was very threatening. Or maybe you're worried that someday yeah, you're going to be ill or getting older and you're going to be dying and you think about death. Jesus experienced and got to know all the, all the depths of death, of decay. He experienced much more than we can ever, will ever experience. God's judgment came down on him with full force. But then, another earthquake. The next chapter, Matthew 28, the earth shakes again. The stone is rolled away, away from the tomb. The first earthquake at the crucifixion meant the judgment of God shook and broke the Son of God. And the second earthquake, the resurrection of the Son of God, shook and broke death. And it showed who is stronger. It had to give way. Death had to give way. Like the floor has to give way when something heavier hits it. And Jesus says, all the same goes for all those who follow him. The power of death is broken because it has been shaken by something stronger, by something heavier. And to all who follow Jesus, he says, I've let myself be shaken for you. That from now on, you can be unshakable. And if you can embrace that, you can begin to understand how much God loves you and what lies ahead of you. And in the early church, all the men and women there, they accepted this offer for themselves. And they were able to express this in today's passage. They, they said something uh, will outlast our times, our stars, and, and, and the mountains. And in this moment, the congregation that prayed together, they understood this. And how do I, how do I know that? If We don't have the time for that for today. But if you read on, we just see something happening next. Suddenly, the believers, they became super generous. They started to give away the money to support those in need. Is it because they prayed so many hours? Or is it because they prayed many hours with the right attitude? God gave them the appropriate answer. He gave them this assurance they were hoping for, they were praying for. They went out and did marvelous things and generous things. And here's an interesting effect, okay? So we're not just done, we just don't pray and that's it. Yes? The courage that was there suddenly led them to do these things. 
And I don't know what it looks today um, for all of us, but I mean, all the churches that I've met over time and people I've talked to, usually they have all one thing in common. What's the thing? Usually every church says, finances are tight because people don't give enough. And the leaders often say, well, the people, yeah, they're so selfish, they don't give enough. Yeah? But I don't think, I think the problem does not really lies, it lies less in selfishness and more in the lack of courage. Because I don't think the financial problem lies in the fact that yeah, people are selfish. I mean, of course, it might be a, a point. But we're looking for courage. We're looking for courage to give. I mean, have you ever wondered, or have you ever said, said this to you, if I give so much, what's left for me? Isn't that our natural response? But remember what I tried to tell you just this last couple of minutes. What will be left? It's nothing anyway. Nothing. What you think you have now, you don't really have. You can cling to it. You can hold on to it. But you still will be afraid. Because why? Because you know it's going to go away. We all know it's going to go away, whatever you hold on to. And I mean, I, I worry about my bank accounts all the time or you know, other things. But I should remind myself, okay, my bank account is probably not going to be there in, in 100 years from now. So all the energy I waste in worrying about this bank account, hmm, it's a great investment, right? And so the people in, in the book of Acts, they got this attitude. They say, like, it doesn't, we don't care how much it, it costs us. If there's a need, we're going to feel, fulfill that need. And as we come to an end, let me just remind you of another a couple of things. When you read the Bible, we know that God cares for the oppressed, for the depressed, for the needy. And in the book of Acts, it becomes clear that God passes on this commission to his church. He passed on his job to us. You know that? We have to ask ourselves then, Wherever we are, who are the needy people in Vienna, for example? And why do we look away if we, if we know it? Because, of course, we have fear for our safety, fear of our wallets, fear of the time that we have to invest, and so on and so on. The Church of Christ has been equipped to offer help for today and to offer help for eternity. It's the only organization in the world that can offer that. If the, world would do, if the church would do that in the world, it would turn the world upside down. I mean, that's exactly what happened in Acts 4 and, and, and after that. I mean, in retrospect, the, the, the church did turn the world upside down. The 2,000 years of history, uh, the early church was famous for its generosity, for sacrifice, for its love for people, whether friend or foe. Okay. And we have to ask ourselves, are we like that too? Are we as 21st century Christians even seeking, even wanting to be like that? And I'm convinced that if a local church wants to spread God's kingdom in its, in its area, there's no way around it. Okay, people on the, everywhere on the planet, they want, to think, want things to turn around, right? If you watch the news, people are always protesting. We want things to turn around. And then sometimes they make it, they ha- it happens, and then what else? Again, there's another misery. Yeah? There's another dilemma happening. Yeah? Just turning things around doesn't mean you fix it. It will not bring healing to humanity. 
And the only one who can keep the promise of fixing things is the great healer who shook up death. Only him. And you know, there's been many revivals in the history of the church. Many, many, many times. Okay? But I can tell you one thing. A revival never happened because the, the Christian said to other people out there, said, come to us, we're the better ones. Yeah, that's, or they said, come to us because we're non-smokers when we don't drink. <laughs> yeah? Or they never said, or, I mean, do you think it ha- this, this works? Come to us and repent, otherwise we will condemn you. It, revival doesn't work that way. The gospel does not work this way. The reason why when a church grew was the enormous generosity and the self-sacrifice and lived out love to the people around them. They went out to heal wounds and to call the lost to God. That's when revivals happened. That's when growth happened in the history of the church. Remember what happened at the beginning. The church prayed with the right attitude. On the one hand, they were amazed that Peter and John had been delivered. They were also afraid. But this is what they based the prayer on. They remembered God, his attributes. Worshipped him. And they used the Bible as the basis of the prayer. And then they had one prayer request together. But don't let us put our own comfort above your mission. Make us bold. They did not pray. Make it easier for us. By the way, if you read um, like, uh, the letters of Paul, Paul also says, I'm praying for you as a church or for individuals. He never prays that. Things should be easier. But he also, also prays in that line, make us fearless. And this prayer has been answered by God. And I promise you, he will, pray, he will answer this prayer again if prayed today. What would happen if you started to pray this way more and more? If it's not only you, but the whole church prays this way, we can expect great things. We're going to make sacrifices, and sometimes things will frighten us, but will frighten us less and less will become less and less courage-seeking. And why? Because the power of Christ's resurrection is the source of our courage. So the final question. You want to be unshakable in this life? Be freed from fear? Filled with courage instead? I think maybe Elizabeth Elliot said it best. It took a whole sermon for me to say it, and she just said it in one, in one sentence. Here's the last quote for today. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. That's where the power of prayer will lead you to. And you will become unshakable in, no matter what the circumstances are. Let's remember as we close now, the world is shaking and will continue to shake. And we can let it shake us again and again, unless we keep close to the one unshakable. In him we find grace and forgiveness and redemption and we find life. So let's pray together as we close. Oh Lord, we, we thank you. We, we praise you. We come before you. We want to acknowledge your, your, um, yeah, your, your status. You're higher than us. You're more than us. You're Lord and King as the church also prayed. And we want to take up also what they did. Use the, the passages that we can find in the Bible to base our prayers on. Lord, I ask you that, that we can find 
courage like that, like the early church did in, the, in chapter 4 of Acts. We pray, Lord, this one thing, make us bold. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who also hears our, our prayer requests. We can come to you when we have a toothache. We can come to you when we are worried about a job. We come, come to you with all our kind of requests. But the one thing, let us not forget that you have a mission for us. And you will give us health, you will give us strength, you will give all these things to fulfill your mission. That's, that's why you left us here um, for now, until we will see you face to face one day. Help us to fill that mission and be bold. And if we lack the courage, also help us to have brothers and sisters to encourage us and to remind, remind us of these things. Thank you that you are willing to give and happy to give all these things that uh, follow your plan. We praise you once again for that. And thank you that you've called us to do your great work. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.